you are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz. That sucks. Sucks big. A half-awake, totally sleepy, live edition of Locked On Jazz is coming up. Trying to rehash a heck of a Game 5, a season that's over, and take your questions. It's all next on Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Jazz NBA insider, and I want to start just instead of my... I'm David Locke. I'm the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. This is your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. You can get on the brand new Himalaya app. Um, you can also get on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, as well as uh, just get into your smart device and play podcast. Tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Jazz. So I am totally out of it. I'm doing a show today because uh, I wanted to talk with you. Uh, but this is really the day every year where I just sleep. And hibernate, and I just cannot. It's such an unhealthy feeling that I have right now. I'm not going to lie to you. I heard Kyle just sound broken um, in a few moments ago up on the presser, and um, I, I, I can't. Like the season ends last night in Houston. I just wanted to like sit and cry. Um. I'm just, like, I can't, I don't want to, like, I don't even know how to explain it. I sound stupid. I'm just going to stop right now. Like, I guess what I would just say is, like, what I love to do more than anything in the world is call games. Like, that's what I love to do, and to not be able to do it. Like, it just, like, I know you want to cheer, and you want to root for your team, and it's your release, and all those things are the best, and they make it awesome, and I don't want to make this about me. I just was kind of sharing for a minute, and then it sounded really stupid, so I'm going to stop. But uh, that's... That's what I would tell you. It's just that this is this is the worst day. Um, and then the other thing that I think probably sounds stupid, and I'll just then we'll move on. Um, it's just a seven-month adrenaline rush. There's no actually human way that you get through this without just pure adrenaline. I mean, we get in at 3 o'clock in the morning all the time. It's just so beeped up. And... You just get through it on adrenaline and the excitement of the next game and the fear of beeping up the next game. I'm tired. I'm, like, about to swear every third word. Um, and it's uh, it's an interesting phenomenon to go through. And, you know, the players go through it much more than I do, and you guys go through it. But today's just a weird day. Like, I just am broken inside. Um, I'm just... Like, frankly, just want to go back to sleep. So, um, anyway, uh, let's get to it. Uh, this was an interesting series. It's, uh, And I want to get to your questions predominantly. Um, the Jazz, first two games are just weird. You know, they got waxed. Um, they lost by 52. They looked ridiculous. Nothing worked. And then all of a sudden, everything worked. Uh, then all of a sudden, the Jazz held the Rockets below their offensive average by a, an average of 15 points per 100 possessions. That's the most insane, incredible, amazing, mind-blowing offense, defensive performance you can have. But I think that's really, really important. And I, I think this is going to be maybe the, the number one talking point 
that I have all offseason long. The defensive performance by the Utah Jazz in the final three games of this series held the Rockets 14 points below their season average points per 100 possession. 14 points below their season. That's insane! And they only won one of the games. I think that's really important. They only won one of the games. The reasonable expectation, statistically, for the Jazz, the number one defense in the NBA, according to Clean the Glass in most places, and they were number one until the final day of the year when nobody cared. If you look at what the Jazz did defensively as the number one team in the league, they were a defensive rating, according to Cleaning the Glass, of 104.7, the 15th-ranked offense in the league using Cleaning the Glass numbers, was a 111. So even if, if the Jazz had their best performance defensively you could possibly imagine, or they did what they do defensively, they had their best possible. They would be six points. They would hold the Rockets six points below their average. That's the Jazz defensive impact is that the Jazz defense can hold you six points below your average. And they didn't. In the last three games, the Jazz held the Rockets to much more than that and only won once. And to me, this has been my grandest fear all season long about the Jazz. You've heard me say this a lot. And that is that as great as the Jazz defense is, that offenses in the league have become so outstanding that even when the Jazz drop those offenses down because of their defensive impact, their offense is not good enough to get there. And that turned out to be true. Now, the Jazz offense was was far less than there's what they do for a season average in that stretch, too. But that, for five straight games against the Rockets, we knew that going into the series. The Jazz offense just is not very good. Um, there's some really interesting things going on in this league with the importance of offensive players and things I've preached for a long time. I may get on my high horse tomorrow in a really arrogant show. Because some of the things I have been preaching are coming to fruition. Um. So, and that's on the importance of offense. Uh, the better offensive team has won every series. Denver and San Antonio are the same. Uh, so anyway, that's the what I think. Last night, specifically, the Jazz, they had a chance. I mean, it was there, and it was interesting. And, I mean, Ricky Rubio gets a wide-open three in transition with 109 left and airballs it. And a one-point game. He made the 13-footer the possession before. Let's not only talk about the negatives. It's 94-91. Royce O'Neal gets a good look. Three misses. Donovan gets the offensive rebound. Can't follow. You're not going to score every time. Dot 90. The Jazz get a stop after P.J. Tucker misses both free throws. Donovan turns it over. Driving into the teeth of defense. 94-93. Then commits a foul he shouldn't have. Which was really a, as equally it was a bad play. It was a Russell Westbrook frustration. Terrible play against Portland. The cost him the game. Now it's 96-93 with 41 seconds left, and um, the Jazz can't fit, don't score, and that's over. The Rockets won this game in in the sa- because 
they're a better play. They're a better team. They're a better playoff team. They're more experienced, and I hope our guys got the message. The Rockets opened the first quarter eight nothing. They just came out and blasted the Jazz to start. That's what championship teams do. They come out. They blasted the Jazz early. The Jazz looked. This was the Rockets. This was different than Game Two, where the Jazz were awful. This was the Rockets were good. But Rubio opens on a 12-footer, misses. Crowder takes a 13-footer. To some extent, we're not a mid-range shooting team. If you do that, that to me says, uh, turnover on Rubio, turnover on Gobert, turnover on Mitchell. It's 8 nothing. They came out. P.J. Tucker was awesome. That is veteran championship play. P.J. Tucker came out and kicked ass for the first five minutes of the game. Just was faster, quicker, on balls, beating people, bouncing off people, doing everything. That's championship caliber. Jazz lead 41-35, 238 to play. Capella comes in, 214 to play, and the Rockets outscore the Jazz to close the half and lead it at halftime 46-42. Jay Crowder hits one free throw and the Jazz get one field goal in the final 230. The Rockets came out of that timeout and said we're going to kick your ass cuz this is the final two and a half minutes of the half and this is what championship teams do. Boom. And then guess what they did to open the third quarter? Same thing. Our guys just didn't have that. Our guys didn't have that understanding. Rubio plays with a passion and a fight and a care, but our guys didn't get those moments of the game and throughout the series made the mistakes that didn't matter in 52-point losses. But, boy, P.J. Tucker grabbing the rebound from Joe Ingles in Game 3 changes the series. Joe Ingles grabs that rebound. We got the ball down two. Who knows? I'm not trying to zero in on Joe. I mean, I can just find any play. Transition, someone didn't get back and get Eric Gordon. He gets a wide open three. It's one possession in these games. And it was again last night. And the Rockets were better in those moments. More than anything else out there. That's the two things that dictated this series. Were the Rockets' mentality and championship mentality and our group just not being ready for that yet. Which is probably the reality. Disappointing, but probably the reality. And the second thing was, as great as our strength was, it wasn't strong enough. Because our other aspects of us, just the offenses in the league are that good. All right, I want to get to your questions. I will give you the depressing numbers on shooting, because that's obviously the other part of it. And that's probably the biggest question to me of trying to figure out why that's the case. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. Steve Carter and the guys over at Intercap. In fact, Steve sent me an email last night telling me that we had another uh, great success with a locked-on listener using Intercap Lending, which was awesome. Uh, Alex said, Steve is the man. He's a, he's, was available anytime I had questions. Got paperwork ready for a week early. My realtor and closing agent also loved him. He was in-depth about the loan options out there. Made me feel confident with my decision. Brad Tobler said, I had a great experience with Intercap Lending. They're very professional, provide excellent service, kept me up to date every step of the way. I highly recommend them. 
to anyone who needs a mortgage. That is our five-star performance from our guy Steve Carter at, over at Intercap Lending. That's what my experience was with Intercap. That's why they're a sponsor on the show. That's why they're exploding and growing as quickly as they are in the local industry, up from two branches to 11, because they get loans done. Give Steve a call at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. That's intercaplending.com, but call Steve. Make sure you tell him. Uh, 385-800-8528. Today's show is also brought to you. Uh, no, I don't think I have that today. Oh, never mind. We're good. Um, Tyler Allen just said to me yesterday, Zach, like Zach Lowe has said, you just wish Crowder was 10% better then he'd be PJ Tucker. Um he can't be the starter next year. We want to be a championship level. Crowder's just not a great shooter. He's terrific at a lot of other things. Um, actually, this is a really interesting comparison. I'm off kilter of where I was going to go. I want to do some shooting numbers. This is a great – a, let's just do this for a second. QSQ, right? We've talked about QSQ a lot. It's your qualified shot quality. Um, let me do something here I think is going to be interesting. Let's do both Jazz and Rockets QSQ for their season. So both the Jazz use an incredible system and they use and they have um, a great offense to get their guys great looks and the Rockets have similar. They have James Harden. So first of all, Harden is unbelievable. His QSQ is a plus 4.7, which means he shoots 4.7 percentage points better in effective field goal percentage than is expected with the shots he takes. But let's look at P.J. Tucker compared to Jay Crowder, and they're actually about the same. Tucker gets a little bit better looks. It's really interesting. So maybe you can find a way to use Jay Crowder in that same way. Um, so the P.J. Tucker's quantified shot quality is a 58.7. He's getting better looks than Jay Crowder. He only shoots 54%, so he's a minus 4.6. Jay is a minus 5.0. Jay's actually, I believe, the second worst Power stretch for quantified shot quality performance compared to quality of shots he gets. Um, and that also might be because people are leaving him early open. And P.J. Tucker's might be because people are leaving him open because they have to guard James Harden so much. So some of this might be your pick your poison, and that's what happens with these guys. Um, but but both, both those guys, actually, this is where quantified shot quality gets a little funky because you might be choosing to leave P.J. Tucker open in the corner. He had the most corner threes of anyone in the NBA this year because of the fact that um, James Harden is driving, and Jay Crowder is the same. Now, the difference is how often Jay Crowder shoots compared to P.J. Tucker. Jay Crowder takes 17 shots per 100 possessions, and Tucker shoots only nine um, there. It's kind of an interesting comp to look at some of these guys, and and I, I like quantified shot quality a little bit. I, I do wonder, like, if you go and take – if we went and got a, a, a stretch four that had a good quantified shot qual- – you know, equal to would, – would they suddenly shoot – the 55% effective field goal percentage of quality of shots that Jay Crowder gets, that would just be an incredible game changer for us um, if that happens. I don't know if that's true, but it's a possibility um, there. Um, you know, Ricky's the other one. Ricky's a minus six in his effective field goal percentage. That's that's a big, you know, Chris Paul's a plus two. That's that's a big hit. Daniel House is, a, is exactly Joe Ingles, plus three on their sh- expected shot quality 
uh, of what they get. Eric Gordon and Donovan Mitchell are actually pretty similar. So um, it's interesting how those two things. Some of these guys are very similar, and then there's the other area where they have James Harden, and so they're better. All right, here's the depressing um, numbers for the series. It's, they're just incredible. Catch and shoot threes. The Utah Jazz catch and shoot threes. They got 137 in five games, five more than any other team in the NBA, and they shot 25.5%. 25.5%. This is something that Dennis Lindsay just said at the podium they're going to have to look into. Is this that you don't have elite athletes and so that when it becomes into this setting everything sped up a little bit and you just don't shoot was it collective who knows overall the jazz shooting three-point shots with a defender not within six feet they had 110 attempts the magic were next at 96 the rockets were at 95 wide open threes 110 of them the jazz shot 24 percent i don't give a crap if you're leaving ricky rubio jay crowder or anyone else wide beeping open 24%. That's criminal. 24%. What's interesting about this is it's not the Rockets. The Jazz did this against the Rockets in the regular season, so the Rockets deserve some credit. But that's the series, guys. I mean, the Rockets blow the Jazz out by 52 in the first two, so let's not get too carried away. That's the series. But the Rockets shoot 45% on wide-open threes, and the Jazz shoot 24%. Come on. I mean, that's a 3-2 series Jazz lead now with if you get a half-decent performance there. That's tragic. I mean, that's the series. It's not the series. You know, like, I think if we win three, we could lose four. I think there's some of that's bullcrap. Like, there's a butterfly effect. I don't want to be that type of homer. But the numbers are incredible. If we just look at the Utah Jazz wide-open three-point shooting and look at the Houston Rockets wide-open three-point shooting in this series. Both teams have things about them. Quinn has a system, and they have James Harden, and Mike D'Antoni is a great offensive coach. But here are closest defender, not within six feet. P.J. Tucker is 13 of 27. P.J. Tucker was great. P.J. Tucker was way better than anyone we had to offer. Eric Gordon, 14 of 23, 61% on his wide-open three-point shotters. Eric Gordon was way better than anyone. But we got to realize how damn good Eric Gordon is. Eric Gordon was a 23-point-a-game scorer in his third year in the NBA. Was He was every bit with Don, close to Donovan. Like, he's a real comp to Donovan. James Harden was 4 of 8 on wide-open threes. The few times we broke down, Chris Paul was 3 of 9. Gerald Green was 2 of 6. Austin Rivers was 2 of 5. Okay, now the Jazz probably should try to figure out why P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon got 50 wide-open threes. But at some point, that's the system. Like, those aren't really guys you want to have. But they shot better. Contrasting this. So there, R.J. Crowder, P.J. Tucker goes 13 of 27. Jay Crowder goes 4 of 13 because he hit two last night. Joe Ingles is our Eric Gordon. He goes 4 of 20 on wide open threes in the series. 
Ricky Rubio goes four of 18 on wide open threes in the series. Royce O'Neal was our best open three shooter. He shot 33%, 7 of 21. Good for Royce. But Donovan goes two of 12. George Niang, three of 10. Tabo, one of seven. That's, that's the bummer. All right, let's get to your questions. Uh, first things first, do we get Igor back? He's going to get paid a lot of money to not come back. I don't know. I, uh, he and I have um, exchanged text messages, but I have not talked to him. I know Quinn talked to him for a while. I was going to give him his space, but I'll talk to him soon. Uh, I feel the Utah Jazz could have actually won the series against Houston if they could have grabbed some game three, but the offense is just spotty at times. The Jazz couldn't could have taken three two. I mean, if we win, it's interesting. If we win game three, last night was a really different game. The Rockets played free up three games to one without a lot of pressure. Had the Jazz won game three and won game four, I do think last night plays differently. Now, if we won game three, I don't know that we win game four. You just might not have that same pizzazz. And, you know, I just go back to a little bit of last year on the Rockets. They came into our building and just kicked the crap out of us when they had to. And so I haven't seen the Rockets lose to us yet when they needed to win. And I'm going to give them that respect. I'm not sure I think that these two teams are that close. I'm not trying to be negative, but I think the Rockets are very close to their 65-win team of a year ago. I thought this the whole series. And we're a 52-win team, and they're a championship caliber, and I don't think we are. Um, but there, I mean, it's not like, but, you know, I just gave you all those shooting numbers. Like, my gosh, if those could have evened out, maybe, maybe you feel differently about things. Um, Marin, uh, says, hi, I want to take a moment. Marin just reminded me, I meant to do this at the open of the show, but I was kind of so into myself that I forgot. Um, we arrived at the airport last night. There were fans there. It was incredible. I was talking to Quinn. I'm like, Quinn, there are fans out there. And he just was like, yeah, they, they're incredible. Like, uh, Quinn and I were just standing in the parking lot talking when they came. And it was just awesome. I, you guys are the greatest. I, I don't. I, I mean, it's absurd. It's 1 o'clock in the morning, and, like, I complain about late nights, and you guys did it, and Marin's got three kids. And, and I mean, you guys are just amazing. I really – I just can't um, – I can't thank you guys enough. It's truly, it's truly just an honor to be a part of this organization and get to do this. And, um, I don't know, it's just awesome. All right, so this summer's here. Now I've got to become, i got to find a new thing to do and be an expert. I can only golf and bike so many times and do so many podcasts and run a podcast network. So I'm going to become a barbecue pit stop aficionado. So how do you do it? Barbecue pit stop is the spot to make you the incredible barbecue expert. Barbecue pit stop has three locations for you. Uh, and I'll try not to screw them up. They're in Lehigh on West State Road. They're in Layton on uh, Highway 193. And they're in Salt Lake City on 13 South, or 21st South and 3rd West. 21st South and 3rd West. Each, these guys are, it's awesome. You walk in, there's all the smokers, all the grills, um, everything from, I mean, just the amazing, like, trailer smoker to the ones you can put in the backyard that don't need a mortgage. Um, no, I mean, the, the Frontiersman 30-inch trailer was just like the most awesome thing I've ever seen when they showed me some of these things. Um, they've, got just the, they've got the Great Tailgater Pro, which is a standard out there. They've got the Traeger line. All. Then 
What I love, though, is the passion. And the passion stems from the wall filled with every single rub you could possibly imagine to the tastings of all the sauces there, whether you like Blue's Hog or Bacon Barbecue or Bad Byron's Butt Rub or whatever it might be that fires you up in their very incredible set of sauces. I was an old bone-sucking sauce guy for a long, long time, and they have bone-sucking sauce. That made me happy. Uh, Kennedy was telling me up at the barbecue pit stop, the guys come over from Hills Air Force Base with their various rubs they want from various parts of the country. I'm a sauce guy. Now I'm learning I'm supposed to be a rub guy. It's just awesome. So you get incredible selection. You get great expertise. You have a barbecue uh, expert on your side forever. So check it out. It's the Barbecue Pit Stop. They've got everything you need for this summer in Lehigh, in Layton, and in Salt Lake City. The Salt Lake City location is 2100 South and 3rd West. To your questions, do you think Kyle Korver is coming back or is he retiring? Seemed like he was leaning toward retiring from his interview. Everyone I talk to says Kyle's coming back. Kyle is pretty excited to work in the offseason. He's got more time to get ready and wants another year of it. Still loves it. I have not talked to Kyle about it. I just listened to Kyle's presser. I think he's closer. I don't know if Kyle knows. I think that's probably the truth of the matter. I think there's a moment in time where you're trying to get ready for the next season and all of a sudden you realize you're not quite able to get ready for the next season or you don't have the fire to get ready. And Kyle is only going to do this if he can still be great. That's the essence of Kyle. I do think whether Kyle realizes it consciously or subconsciously, the release of the letter, the comments about Donovan, to me, sound like a guy who either thinks it might be over or at least realizes it's close. That letter was awesome, unbelievable. You saw P.J. Tucker talking to him after the game. I'm pretty certain that kind of passion coming out of P.J. Tucker was about that. Um, And that, to me, was... um, Those don't hold... He can't do that unless he's a player. So I don't know that that's really what's happening here. But to me, it felt, it feels a little bit like at least there's a recognition of that. Um, I think the knee going out at the end was re- has been really depressing to him. Um, so I, the only thing I would say is I do, I do think that right now, at least um, from where he's coming from, I think there might be almost a level, and I don't mean this like in the serious clinical sense of things. I do think that there might be some level of depression um, or just – you know, depression might not be the right word, but I think you know um, what I'm saying. I mean, like, I would say that I'm fully depressed today. Like, I'm just, ugh, I'm trying to pump up for the show, but I'm just like, I want to go back to bed. Like, that's all I want to do. I just want to sleep. Like, my heart is just broken. So I think there's a brokenheartedness to what, where Kyle is right now, and that's part of what you heard in that presser. Uh, Donovan had to work so hard last night to even get the ball. He seemed gassed in the second quarter. We really need to get him a second, unquestionably. We've got to get Donovan help. I mean, we just, we got to get Donovan help. He doesn't have help on this roster. I'm not trying to be mean to Rudy or Ricky or Joe. It's not like, like Ricky's strengths are not scoring. Joe is not a scorer. You saw it in this series. Joe was absent. They just decide that every team has decided they're not going to let Joe do something and has the personnel to do it can do it. He, Joe's awesome, but they, that's, right? Like, Kyle could, they switched so much that Kyle couldn't really play. He's not a scorer. There, somebody else has got to be able to create offense there, creator, other than the two things we have right now that create offense. One, 
is Donovan, and two is the system. And we need desperately, and the third one I would say is we need above-average shooters. Offensively. Now, defensively, how do you weigh these things? These are not easy, and they're not easy to go get. But, um, you know, um, when, how do you, how do you find those things? I don't know, but we need shooters that bring the defensive players a step or two closer. Ricky and Jay are two of the least good shooters, according to QSQ, at their position. So I'm guessing that teams don't take that step. So yeah, no, Donovan was on empty last night, and then broken about it. It was so sad. Like in the locker room afterwards, that locker room afterwards was really melancholy. Um. Uh, James Scott says, what's next? We're trying to address it, my man. Uh, David, would Ricky back as the backup to, say, Patrick Beverly or Kemba? Not realistic. Seth Curry, Drew Holiday in trade. But something uh, would you see working statistically? Um, The only thing I will tell you, I, and I'll get into this tomorrow, I more passionately than ever believe that you have to have above average offensive players. That you, you cannot survive with a player and win with players that are below average points gained players. That's our, my metric who use possessions. And I'm just talking like 10 a night. Like you just don't, I think that, at, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this coming up, but it's, it's interesting. Um, so you have to really find those guys. Um, you know, Kemba's not, Totally unrealistic. I mean, I don't want to get hopes up, but we have the money. Um, if unless if he makes all NBA, which I don't know if he will, I don't think he will. But if he makes all NBA, then Charlotte doesn't isn't going to want to pay him. Um, he may not want to go back to Charlotte. Um, and so you know, he's got to find a place. He's been in a small market. He is a New York kid. Um, I don't know if he wants to come west, uh, but we'll see. Um, I mean, as you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I love Dennis spin of the net that we're going to turn Utah into a positive place to come to play. I'm not a believer in it, but let me clarify what I mean by that. I just don't think that there are. I think there are only five or six places that are free agent destinations. Okay, L.A. is unique. L.A. is unique. Um, I actually think Houston's a free agent destination. James carries you, and that's an incredible city, and if particularly if you're an African-American, it's an amazing city. Oakland with their new arena is going to be, and San Francisco is pretty awesome. Um. Philadelphia might be a draw other than the fact their arena sucks. Boston has proven that they're a free agent draw with Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. I'm stunned by it, but they've done it. I don't know that I think New York is. I think they're going to get players, but I don't know that they're actually a draw. That's a, I think Washington should be and Miami. So there's seven places that I think are a free agent draw, and maybe Brooklyn, eight. If we're up against one of those eight places, we're not getting someone. I just don't believe it. Maybe I'm going to turn out to be wrong. There's no track record that says we do. If we're up against the other 22, it's a money issue. It's a money and role issue. 
And in that sense, Dennis is absolutely right. We didn't used to be able to compete against those 22. That's the difference. Now we get in those 22, and you're deciding to go to Chicago or Utah, and Chicago should be a draw, but it's not. So maybe that should be nine. But those are great, unbelievable cities with geographic or economic or whatever world differences that we just can't compete with. But if you're going to Indiana or Utah, you're going to Orlando or Utah, you're going to Detroit or Utah, you're going to Charlotte or Utah, you're going to Atlanta may end up being that if they build that thing right. San Antonio or Utah, Portland or Utah. Now it's a money issue. But for the first time ever, we actually are good enough and we have things doing right that I think that we can, and the city has evolved enough that we can maybe get somebody in that realm. But we're not getting the free agent that's looking at Brooklyn. We're just not. Maybe. I don't think so. Okay? I, let me just say, I wouldn't build a business plan on that. That's probably the better way to phrase it. New Orleans? Maybe. Minnesota? Maybe. Because now it's not a discussion of location. It's money, money, Rollins and, and team. And then we're okay. But that's a big step for us that we can compete with 22. But it makes me nervous to think that we might have a business plan where we think we can compete with those eight. Because I'm not sure I can. Uh, Not really realistic to expect another star on the team next year, right? I I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I wouldn't like if Dennis doesn't go get in the front office, doesn't go get another star. I wouldn't be like Dennis sucks um, or we're a failure. Um, It's really hard. I don't know what that's. I don't know what the star is. I gotta really do some research. I don't know who I who I think. I mean, Kemba, I guess, would be pretty close to a star. Kemba's a big risk. But if my choices are Kemba or Mike Conley, I'm going Kemba. He's young. He's a little younger. He's not as big, but he can really score it. He's the best pick and roll player in the league. One of the best, I think. I mean, I'm not in love with Kemba. Don't misunderstand me. I have all sorts of reasons why I like kind of don't like Kemba. Um, which I know probably sounds stupid, but then like I run the numbers on the top players, you know, pick and roll stuff, and I, you know, you get to Kemba pretty fast, and that's what we run. So, you know, if Kemba can run a 1.07 pick and roll with Cody Zeller, and have it be arguably the best in the entire NBA, other than Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, what the hell is he going to do with Rudy Gobert? Boy, my language is terrible today. I am sorry. This is just, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep when we're done. It's all the energy I got. Um, it's disappointing because we never played a great game or up to our potential offensively. Yeah, I mean, I thought we played pretty well in game four. I thought we played pretty well in game three. We just didn't hit shots. No, I think it's, I mean, this. there's an emptiness to this. I mean, I did not think we had a chance to beat Houston. We actually may have had more of a chance to beat Houston than I thought by the time the series was done because Quinn's just incredible. And we actually busted their offense, which I didn't know we could do. Um, I actually, my thought going into the series was, and I had said this to some people, our greatest strength in these series is that Quinn will break the other team. Quinn's and the coaching staff's game plan will break the other team. I thought we'd already done it to Houston, and they'd answered us. Turned out Quinn actually had another mechanism to break them, and this was to break their offense, and we just didn't ha- we didn't have enough – we didn't make enough shots to answer it to be able to get done. How would you compare the Jazz performance against the Rockets in this series compared to last year? Felt like we had more of a chance – I don't know. 
five games, five games. They're better than we are. Like, I think we're splitting hairs. I'm going to, I don't know. The Favors dilemma never seems to go away. He's so good. It really shows in the playoffs every year. But it still just doesn't work great from a spacing and playing time standpoint. No, I mean, Randy, that you nailed it. But Dennis was very clear today that he believes there's no playoffs without Derek Favors. He believes there's no playoff victory in the last two years without Derek Favors. He believed, quote, absolutely whether Favors could come back. He talked about the positive 4.5 and saying that they can't play together is a false narrative. So Dennis was very clear uh, with his comments there. I could run some statistical models that show some different things on that. It probably would be on ignorance on my part of not quite understanding enough things. Um, I do think the importance of offense in this league is interesting, and that lineup with Favors and Gobert has never been good offensively. So you'd have to make a conscious decision to value offense more than defense, which we have not done, and we in the regular season may not be true, but in the playoffs there might be more and more true. Series should be 3-2 Houston. Gave them game three and game five, so frustrating. Yep, no, it probably, I mean, I think it's fair to say it should, we should be playing game six. That, I, it feels that way, which is different than last year. Like, we went into Houston and went out, I went out for dinner with people in Houston the night before game five last year and said goodbye. And I did not do that this year. It felt like we were better this year. But five games is five games. Um. I love the Jazz, but the Rockets had the Jazz number. I feel like we got beat by the next NBA champs. We'll see. I kind of left the series both feeling both ways on the Rockets. On one level, I'm so impressed with the, that first and third quarter thing I talked about that they did in the game. I was so impressed by that. On the other end of things, um, that second unit with run by Chris Paul is a problem. Chris Paul's a problem. Chris Paul's old. Chris Paul's going to get exposed. We didn't have the personnel to expose Chris Paul. But Chris Paul against the Warriors is going to be a problem if the Warriors get there. Um, so I think that that's, that jumps out to me a little bit. Um, the old Chris Paul guards Donovan Mitchell. Chris Paul guarded Donovan Mitchell for a grand total of like nine possessions the entire series. Donovan didn't do much on those, but Don, I mean Donovan didn't do a lot. Eric, against Eric Gordon, Donovan was 13 of 41 shooting. Against Austin Rivers, he was 11 of 22. That's the other problem. Austin Rivers is not a good defensive player. Chris Paul, I don't think, is a, he's a good hands, active defensive player. Um, the other one. By the way, one other narrative that I just think needs to be eliminated is that James Harden is just not a bad defensive player. I just, it got out there on YouTube and everyone believes it. Donovan Mitchell was 4 of 15 going against James Harden in this playoff series. And then if you put James Harden in the post, he is strong. Now, does, he, does he relent because he doesn't want to pick up a foul? Yes. But he's second in the league in steals, second in the league in deflections. I, he's, he had a huge impact defensively in the series. And he did last year too. Does he, does he take possessions off? Absolutely. Can we go put him on YouTube and make a fool of him? Yes. Is that a sample size of one? Yes. Do you know what you think the Jazz approach to the offseason will be? What's needed to the next level? I mean, I just will say this, and I, I this is hard because we're a day afterwards and I've avoided these comments the whole time and I'm not trying. I don't want to. Uh, we need a talent upgrade. Like, we got to get better. Like, I love our guys, but I think part of the shooting, I don't know if this is true, but one of the things I think is unique to us is how many non-athletes we have that play for us, that we have found a way to be successful with, and they're great. 
But you wonder if maybe the playoffs are a tick faster, and so therefore those non-athletes don't make shots. Like, I look at Denver, and I don't love all their guys, and there's some guys actually I think are – it's interesting. I think they have some guys who are playing really well that are going to hamper them long-term unless they evolve. That's fine. They all look right. Like, Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu are both terrible shooters and have all sorts of problems in Portland, but they're also 6'8 and long and athletic, and they're not George Niang's second-round draft pick. They're not Joe Ingles undrafted and then evolved into an NBA player in the most fabulous sense. And Joe Ingles is a better player than those two players, no question. But is there something about playoff basketball where that athlete level is more important than ever before. And I'm not, Joe's a pretty good athlete. Joe's, there aren't a lot of six, nine guys that long who can handle and do the, like there's things to Joe's game that are super special and unique. Don't misunderstand me. Royce O'Neal has a physical toughness. Like you hit him, it's a wall that's elite. Like that's, that's what made him able to guard Harden is he's so strong that you can't move him. That's elite. That's a part of being an athlete. Royce O'Neal has a heart that Mo Harkless does not have. The amount of 50-50 balls Mo Harkless let go the other night was sickening. Um, that's just talent. But just pure speed quickness stuff, I don't know. To me, it feels like that's got to come up a little bit. But, frankly, we've been the probably third or fourth best team in the Western Conference each of the last two years, fifth or sixth best team in the NBA. So... Like, being critical might be a little silly. Now, that if you want to get better, that's what I'm saying. But I might be wrong. Uh, the Jazz are lucky enough to sign Tobias Harris or another stretch four. Or uh, uh, can the Jazz title contend with Ruby at the point guard? It's a good question. I don't know that, Dell. I don't know that question. That's a great question. Tobias Harris, to me, is like the most exciting player to add to our team. Like, if I could go pick a player in the NBA who's not going to be an all-NBA caliber player, um, that might be the guy I would go take. I'm looking at my list right now. Um, yeah, I think that would be the guy. Like, that would be my no- – like, honestly, not just because he's a free agent. If you told me I could get 82 games out of Danilo Gallinari, that would be my guy. But I'm so scared of his body and the fact that he's stayed healthy this year. I'm not sure I'd be willing to do that. Pascal Siakam would be interesting to me because just the athletic, he's not. He's pretty close to All-NBA. Um, the two players that are really interesting to me... Um, are Boyan Bonjanovic in Indiana and Tobias Harris. Um, the other one I would throw out there that I would be interested to dig into, and I don't know, I'm assuming he's signed, is Jeremy Grant in Oklahoma City. He shot 39% from three this year. He's pretty good, and he's he's that's that athlete. Like I like Nikola Mirotic, but that's not like he's actually not a bad athlete, but he's not 
Like, I like Nikola Miritich, too. I mean, that's another one that fits into kind of th- – these are the guys that fit into um, – oh, it's interesting. I, I think there's also a money allocation question you got to start asking yourself. You know, where are we spending our money? Anyway, all right, that's been a good show. It's really long. Um, thank you for tuning in. I super appreciate it. Um, I saw that there are other questions. I will try to get to them. Um, so you guys are great. I, we're not, I'm not going anywhere. Um, we'll do a show tomorrow. We'll do shows next week. Uh, 